Tonight's story is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. Today we are canceling the apocalypse! Wait a minute, wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. And uh, this is? Lilu Dallas Multipass. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Houston, we have a problem. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Now, where was I? Welcome to a special episode of Blokebusters that I am tentatively calling Nostalgia Busters. And this inaugural episode, we're going to be discussing The Breakfast Club. And I'll get into what exactly this is going to be in a minute but first i'm going to introduce the guest for this episode it is paul preston from the movieguys.net and the host of both countdown to five and ford fiesta there how are you doing sir good to have you back this is the inaugural episode it is indeed yes how exciting <laughs> i was unaware of that all right good yeah well look you got a topic here that could go on forever so happy to be aboard <laughs> Yeah, no problem. Yeah, great to have you back uh, for you know, for listeners of the podcast. Uh, you might recognize him from when we did El Camino, which is a fantastic film. Always fun talking about that. And yeah, I um, I obviously I've had this idea for a little while now, and I decided I would uh, reach out and see uh, see if anyone was interested. And uh, you were one of the first people to get back and suggest a film. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, when you get into like movies that. You know, could they be made today? It's kind of funny how Twitter has just kind of goofed on that whole concept at this point. It's like, could you make Blazing Saddles today? Which I'm sure you'll get to that one. I thought for sure. If this, I didn't know this was inaugural. I might have picked that because, I mean, funny's funny, but I'll get into that. But there's a uh, there's a whole bunch of tweets now that go around saying something. Blazing Saddles, couldn't make it today. Uh, yeah, Gene Wilder's dead. Or, <laughs> yeah, you couldn't make it today. You know, just, they goof on the concept now, but... There's yeah. still ample conversation to be had. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that a lot of times people focus on, um, and this is kind of the reason why I did it, uh, yeah, people often focus on, you know, the times have changed and there are definitely some things that were accepted by the vast majority of people. And, uh, you know, now that we have a deeper understanding of everything and that we actually... Uh, trying not to insult a large group of people with some of our material, <laughs> and you know it can be can be interesting to go back and have a look at some of these older films that, rightly so, uh, are either cult classics or just genuinely great film. But look at it with the lens of, you know, would this film be made the same today? Like, could you make the, the, the film other today? goof? I remember now is could you make Blazing Saddles today? And someone said, well, everyone would just say. Why did you do that? Mel Brooks already did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the um, it's the South Park joke of Simpson did it. Uh, it's a lot of that. Yeah, you think that's bad anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I um, uh, I've really wanted to do this for for a while because I think there's a a lot of fun that can be had just looking into this stuff. So um, thank you for agreeing to be on. And uh, I do think this is a sort of a perfect first one to look into uh, because obviously with something like Blazing Saddles, and as you say, we'll probably get to it, so I won't (laughs) go too far in. But yeah, there's a lot in that that would be open for discussion (laughs) on this topic. (laughs) Whereas I think a film like this definitely there's there's a lot we can discuss but um but yeah i I think it's it's a good starting point for this type of discussion so uh first of all just to do the nuts and bolts because i normally do that at the start uh directed by john hughes and uh, if you don't know who john hughes is uh, i can't really help you at this point um you know (laughs) he's uh um he was a prolific director and did a whole bunch of the sort of 80s comedies um a couple of others may end up being on this very series as well (laughs) and uh a budget a reported budget of one million dollars and a box office depending on where you look it was a domestic box office of forty-five million eight hundred seventy-five thousand one hundred seventy-one U.S. dollars, 
uh, and a worldwide of 51,525,171 American dollars. Um, Wait, so that's like a $6 million difference between the domestic and the worldwide totals? Ab- about that, yeah. I um, get that. Yeah, I, this doesn't exactly reach out to the rest of the world and, and ask for relevancy. <laughs> no, no, being set in a weekend detention in an American high school in the 80s yeah not a lot of worldwide appeal um, to that in general um now obviously uh, and we'll get into it the film itself you don't need to have gone to high school in the 80s to understand the film and to get it but uh, yeah no it's uh, definitely a film that i think um you know if it if it were to be released in a more modern time it would definitely be a more cult classic and get a lot of streaming and stuff like that over box office i think um now the interesting thing was i tried to look up uh yeah using box office mojo and so on uh the information for this and apparently there was a 2020 re-release um however according to box office mojo that was in the netherlands for (laughs) one weekend so I'm not 100% sure it can officially be called a re-release. So yeah, that that domestic, um, or sorry, that international. Consider, if it happened in the Netherlands, did it happen? Apparently it was only $13,000 made uh, there. So yeah, I, I don't know. I am going based on all of the information I have available. <laughs> um, and uh, that was pretty much it. So um so yeah, uh, I guess my first question to you would be, why is it that you picked The Breakfast Club? Well, I read a recent article by Molly Ringwald. She wrote it for The New Yorker magazine. And I encourage you, if you're listening to this and are interested in the, you know, in how The Breakfast Club holds up over time, it's a favorite film of yours. She was, she was pretty down on it. Uh, she wrote a whole article in The New Yorker about showing the film to her daughter and having lots of cringeworthy moments while watching the film <laughs> that I guess if you're her and you have a daughter and her specific situation says that my specific situation does not see that at all. I, you know, see this as a, as a pretty relevant film today. And, and, and a lot of the things she brought up, I take not issue with, she's welcome to her opinion and obviously lived through it all in a whole different scenario than I do just being a the guy who watched it. You know, but uh, as a guy who watched it, um, it plays better for me today than it did for her. So I I recommend watching that. So that sort of kicked me off down the trail of all sorts of other opinions online about this movie. And it just seems like it's really talked about for in terms of, you know, being of its era, but maybe not this one. Yeah, I'll say it was interesting because you you mentioned uh, that you wanted to do The Breakfast Club. And uh, it's been a film that... Ever since I first watched it, I just have really enjoyed the film overall. Um, I've definitely gone back to it many times over the years. Uh, and um, as I was explaining to you before we hit record as well, like this film is two years older than I am. <laughs> so yeah. uh, much like um, The Goonies, it, it's of an era that I don't understand. Uh, you know, I did not grow up in America. I didn't go to an American high school or anything like that. I was definitely not a teenager in the 80s. So, you know, in terms of that, I have no connection to the film. However, what I would argue, uh, and I, I don't know if you would argue the same, but I would hope so, is that the film is not specifically about that. It is almost entirely just a about the band of characters in it really coming to realize ultimately that they're not that different. They all are struggling with the same thing despite being from those different areas of their society. And, you know, coming to understand that whether or not that lasts after Saturday, we'll never know. You know, yeah, film God does. We don't know. <laughs> Breakfast Club yeah. too. I would not have a lot of faith in. You know, <laughs> if Hughes got behind it, I mean, maybe, but still, it's kind of like they've said their the characters have said their piece to each yeah. other and for the camera, and now just sit on that. You know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I 
I am not someone who would ever call for a sequel or anything like that. Like, you know, I can... The only, potentially the only way I would accept it is if it was some sort of extended sketch in the style of the Wet Hot American Summer first day of camp where, like, they come back and they're playing their characters and they just don't comment on how much older they are. And like, yeah, it, it is like, it's a year later or something like that. Like, and they, it's just, it's clearly, you know, they're just having fun with it. And, you know, maybe it's only a 20 minute thing. Yeah, you know, I'd be fine with something like that. But I uh, worry they'd do it now and then they would have kids and now their kids are in the thing and in the tension. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't need that. I love yeah. Bender. I love Andy. I love Brian. <laughs> I love the head case. I love Claire. They're the best. You know, you fall in love with them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, I guess that was kind of uh, a good segue into my uh, my second question for you then, which would be, who is your favorite character in the film? Here's the thing. Okay, so Molly Ringwald, one of the problems she had was when Bender ends up under the desk hiding from the principal, Vernon, right? Uh, mm. And he looks down... He looks up the skirt of Molly Ringwald's character and he kind of moves in on it and we cut away to her uh, shock of, you know, someone under the... I mean, she knows he's under there. They're hiding him because mm-hmm. he was supposed to be in his, uh, his sort of solitary confinement on the other side of the school. But then now she in this article, she says that, you know, she's very uncomfortable by that. She was basically sexually harassed by uh, Bender and to which I say, yes, he's the villain. <laughs> he's a bad guy and you need that's how you show that he's a bad guy you know uh i mean i can't see a situation where you know everyone goes oh you know darth vader is real problematic he killed that guy by choking him right in the beginning but yes he's the bad guy <laughs> bad guys gotta be able to do bad guy things the whole point of a movie is that you get to see fantasy situations where things play out that they wouldn't in real life to advance a story to build stakes i mean obviously bender is a mess and so they have to handle that through his monologues through his backstory and through his relationship with the other characters that being said to answer your question he's my favorite i love bender <laughs> i love him so much he's the greatest I'm... he's hilarious he's a, he's a he's a huge jerk but i, I mean it's you can't stop watching him, you know uh and he's the kind of um Andrew is the kind of uh, you know, jock guy who uh, would seem, I, I don't know if I would trust in, in college in, or even in high school, in both places. For me, when I was growing up, it was kind of like the art people versus the preppy types. And that would include like the, the quarterback as well as you know the prom queen. We were always sort of rebelling against it. We were kind of, as artists, we were kind of bender. We just weren't as, you know, out to you know, burn the world down. We, we were just sort of, you know, anti, uh, rich goofball. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, we weren't Brian though. So, uh, we weren't, you know, quite brainiacs. There were a few Allison's among us, you know, the, the basket case, but, um, I think, yeah, Bender, we were kind of like Bender. And so I think yeah. I related a lot to him, but then of course the abuse and all that stuff he undergoes, through his from his parents you know, being burned by the cigarette and the stories he tells i can't relate to any of that but i find it high drama a reason for why he is and you got to let him be the bad guy and uh just see where that see where that goes in the hands of a great writer it's it went to fascinating places i thought yeah no i i absolutely agree that uh, john bender is by far the best character in the film um obviously a a major driving force for the plot in the film. Um, and, uh, yeah, Judd Nelson, I think, gives the best performances in the film. Um, yeah, you, you've got all of these kids that were the Brat Pack, and, uh, uh, yeah, they were doing uh, exactly what they had been doing before. They were definitely falling into uh, some of the stereotypes, Um that they were already in and getting uh, you know, typecasts in those roles. Um, you know, Anthony Michael Hall, you know, at this point in time, did he ever play anything other than a nerd? 
<laughs> it's yeah, interesting because Weird Science, he was not like the nerd nerd because he was he thought he was cool. He talked he talked to the ladies. He dressed better than the news nerd, but he still mm-hmm. got shakes dumped on him and all that stuff. Like he can't, oh, yeah. couldn't quite get out of there until he grew up and got jacked, and then was in like Edward Scissorhands in the Dead Zone and stuff. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, yeah he. But again, there was uh, all good actors. I think here. Oh yeah, but certainly with Nelson's role being the showiest. Yeah, he certainly comes off as like, look at the great stuff he's doing here. But uh, yeah. they all killed it. And, and Vernon and John Kaplos, who played yeah. the the <laughs> uh, janitor, such a great monologue and such great attitude uh, in that film as well. So yeah, I mean, top notch across the board. Yeah, and the the interesting thing as well um, that I was kind of paying attention to during uh, this rewatch that I had is that at no point in the film does Brian ever say that the janitor is not his dad. It's just that, uh, you know, we, we see his dad pick him up at the end of the film. That's the only, in, like, <laughs> the only inkling we get that the janitor isn't his dad. Uh, but, yeah, he doesn't deny it at any point. <laughs> so it's, it's kind yeah, of interesting. True. You're right. But, um, uh, yeah, to kind of circle back as well, Bender does indeed sexually harass uh, Claire and yeah I can you know it's one of those things where you know yeah in a more modern film I feel like they would kind of hang a lantern on it a little bit and use it as a either like a moment where everyone rallies against the bad character <laughs> um, but in this film set at this time like in the reactions and everything yeah it genuinely is just that is what someone like bender would have done and everyone reacts the way that they would have done and i like i don't see that there's an issue with the character doing that because yeah he's messed up he's acting this way and i feel like by the end of the film you can kind of tell He's clearly acting this way because that's like he feels he has to. Like this is how yeah. There he are monologues that set up. The, yeah, yeah. There are monologues that set up how his parents. You know, every good therapist will tell you, "Tell me about <laughs> your your father." You know, and clearly beats and burns him mm-hmm. and uh, yells at his wife and goes and tells make go make a turkey pot pie. You know, so <laughs> there's lots of reason for me. He didn't like just. He wasn't just a jerk. There was reasons for it, and that's stuff we have to examine just as much as, much as we have to examine, you know, Andy being uh, instilled with the will to win from his father at all costs. You know, like, they've all yeah. been just pressured and pressured and pressured by parents and by the school and by each other, other people. It's happening in that moment, you know, that like Claire's being pressured by Bender, you know, tell us about... You know, are you a virgin? Come on, tell us. What are you? He won't stop. He won't really. It's just a constant... Yeah, that's what he was wanting to show. Is look look at the pressure they're under when you drop them off, you know, and you don't even, and you might think they're fine, or you know, yeah. some, of the, some of the better, so even some of the kids who have better parents, this is what they're dealing with at school, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, but then of course, as you said before, there's stereotypes recognized here, and then how can people get past that is basically the story, and realize that they're all kind of similar. Yeah, and. Uh... One thing I found interesting in kind of doing just a a little bit of looking up stuff for this, there were almost weird casting. Like, obviously, we know the cast now as these people. So, obviously, to then go, oh, well, it could have been played by this person. And you just, Uh, oh, I can't think of it. Who could have been? All right, go ahead. Hit me. But, so, let's see. Anti-Michael Hall appears to, he was always going to be Brian. Like, that just was the case. So, don't no need to worry about Brian. However, John Hughes guy um, and Molly Ringwald, I assume as well. Molly Ringwald was asked to be in the film, but she was originally approached to play Allison. Oh, interesting. Uh, but she was apparently upset by that because she wanted to play Claire, who was being auditioned uh, for with Robin Wright, Jodie Foster, Diane Lane, and Laura Dem. And then Ringwald actually just convinced Hughes to give her the part of Claire. So run, the, run yeah. those names by me again. There is uh, Robin Wright, Jodie Foster, Diane Lane, and Laura Dem. Okay. 
Yeah, who could have pulled that off? I think maybe Laura Dern, probably best out of the bunch of them. Yeah, you know, she's played a mess in Citizen Ruth and half a mess in Wild and Hard. I, I think she could do it. I, but I think Robin Wright could have done well with that. I don't think it would have been. It wouldn't have been the same. Absolutely, yeah. wouldn't have been the same. But because two years later she comes off so posh as Princess Buttercup, it's like exactly. hard to imagine her getting down and dirty. But she could have. Yeah, I mean she's so but, good. They were they were all good. Diane Lane was so good too. Now, do you want to hazard a guess as to who was originally cast in the role of Bender? Let's see, around that time, uh, C. Thomas Howell. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, not him. <laughs> uh, Josh Brolin. No, although no. that's an interesting one. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, so uh, the, uh, you know, one more guess, and then I'll tell Jason you. Patrick. Uh, no, 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 but uh, another good poll. Yeah, I can see that. All right. Um, so, the <laughs> the original cast for John Bender was Emilio Estevez. <laughs> okay, from the other side of the room. Yeah, that's funny because so, Charlie Sheen probably would have been great. I mean, yeah, that, that yeah, they should, we should have had them both. That would have been interesting. It's interesting. Uh, they both look like their dad, but they don't look like each other. So they could have played yeah. people who aren't brothers in that movie I, I, just fine. Yeah, I was actually thinking that um, like Emilio Estevez in this film looks like he's going to grow up to be Steve Carell. Like <laughs> he's just got that kind of look to it. Um, but uh, but yeah, so, so he was originally cast as Bender, but then Hughes was completely unable to find anyone to play Andrew. So he was then just recast as Andrew. Uh, and um, there were two other people other than Judd Nelson that were potentially going to be the role of Bender. And they were John Cusack and Nicolas Cage. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can actually see both of them doing that. I mean, yeah. Cusack's so likable, but he could turn up that dark side, I think. Just back then, it may not have... Yeah, yeah, he was so likable. Better Off Dead was that same year, I think, right? <clears throat> uh, I think one so. One crazy summer and, right around then. And apparently Hughes did originally cast Cusack, but then replaced him with Nelson because he did not look intimidating enough. The Cage, uh, that just would have been a whole different movie. It would have been the Cage movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is very interesting to think of Nicolas Cage in literally any other role like in any other film because it's yeah. just like how how can you 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 wouldn't be able to dilute nicholas cage it's right. just it's not done <laughs> yeah i went to see renfield and you have to go to his movies now it's like is it good <laughs> i was like well, I, yes because you have to see what he's gonna do next yeah, yeah that's kind of I mean... like when when in private parts when they said why do people listen to howard stern they want to hear what he's going to say next most of the people who listen to howard stern don't like it but they have to tune in to see what he's going to say next <laughs> and so cage is the same way it's like what wacky choice is he going to play as dracula next and the things he would have pulled out of his uh you know basket of tricks for bender would have been nuts you know <laughs> like he would have done tons of stuff not direct not in the direction uh you know would have just flown off the handle it would have probably been amazing but oh well, yeah it was a different I... movie I yeah I can't imagine like as much as I would have enjoyed seeing Nicolas Cage being a version of Bender I can't imagine Nicolas Cage giving the scene where Bender is imitating everyone's home life like it it I can't picture that in in oh, any yeah, fashion no. oh, I can <laughs> take a little bit of Moonstruck right I bake bread, 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 and I sweat, and I shovel dough out of the stinking hole in the wall, and then take a little bit of Vampire's Kiss, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Combine them together, and you get some crazy Bender monologue energy. But, I mean, like, uh, again, the, different movie, the energy, but boy, that'd be fun. Yeah, the, the energy would be, it would almost be train wreck fascinating to <laughs> to witness the Nicolas Cage energy in that scene. It's just like... You, you would remember it, but not necessarily for the reasons that the director would want. Um, but yeah, no, that, that I I absolutely would watch that film. I'm not sure it would have the same staying power, <laughs> you know. But then again, yeah, it's the you know 
the rose-colored glasses, ultimately. Like, you know, we can't know what that film's going to be like because that was not the film that was made. <laughs> yeah, for a lot of people, this was their peak, right? Like, Cage has had a whole career. I mean, Ringwald never rose to this height again. Nelson did, uh, what was that lawyer movie he did? Um, From the Hip, and oh. then appeared on Suddenly Susan for, you know, a couple of seasons. But they never quite reached this. I mean, New Jack City, but nothing was quite like this, you know? Um, Anthony Michael Hall, you kind of say the same thing. It was only so for you know Estevez to have a career after that. Sheedy, yeah. But I mean, basically, what I'm saying is, <laughs> without that, without the Breakfast Club, Cage just kept working, <laughs> oh, yeah. working and working yeah. and working, and still today, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, um, arguably, you could say that the most recognizable name out of the the members of the Breakfast Club, um, you know, five years after this film was probably Emilio Estevez just because he went and did Mighty Ducks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, and yeah, so that... Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> weird to think about. Um, I mean, they all did St. Elmo's Fire practically, a couple of yep. them. And they all stuck mm-hmm. with... They all stuck with, uh, you know, Hughes to do Weird Science and Pretty in Pink, but never quite this height again, I don't think. Uh, yeah. They did in the, in the 80s. Yeah, Seems as though, yeah, mid 80s Hughes is, you know, some of their what a lot of people would consider peak from them, and you know, not necessarily because that we're saying that they themselves peaked, it's just for whatever reason, this film has been such a draw for everyone that it's like, oh no, this is the best from them. Uh, pretty um, impressive considering John Hughes came from National Lampoon, which was kind of a uh, edgy you know comedy uh force yeah to really sort of get down with what teenagers think you know situations that would move them and and a lot of female-led stories from him as well you know, from 16 candles to yeah. uh, pretty in pink and um yeah so i was pretty impressed that he made that transition you know he probably just came in with here's whatever and then when it got to be well now you're in charge ah okay well i have these thoughts i want to get across these stories i want to tell and yeah. when he tapped into the teen angst he hit a gold mine yeah i mean the guy just seemed to be able to write that um yeah t- teen and to some extent a little younger as well i mean yeah he he did home alone um you know and uh uh you mentioned pretty in pink first Peter's day off uh uncle buck and that sort of stuff so yeah, the, the guy just seemed to understand that, you know, that era of adolescence and, um, yeah, writing to that and was able to really, you know, really get a lot of people's nostalgia, actually. Like, you know, so it's, uh, it's quite incredible what that guy was able to do. Um, mm-hmm. Now, uh, I guess one thing that I will mention and... Uh, specifically because of the whole premise of this. Uh, really, the only thing that I thought of during my watch of this film that would be, you know what, I I don't see it being done exactly the same way. Um, the, the really? sex, um, Well, the, the sexual harassment by Bender, like, I, I feel like that is perfectly like within the world of the film you know it, it is what that character would do and obviously as we went through as we mentioned before you really start to understand why he's acting the way he is uh, however twice during the film they do use a um, a slur for a gay person and it is also spray painted on a locker and you know spray painted on the locker yeah i can see that especially given when the film is set and everything like okay that absolutely would be something that could have been spray painted then but when they both times say the word in the film um like it really does seem just mean-spirited for no reason um which which again most people could argue that is what how it was used back then but i do feel like that was um that's something i do not feel um holds up 
Like that's kind of the one thing in this film I didn't think held up um, to a rewatch, especially now. Um, and, you know, maybe it's just because I feel like if it was done now, it would be done a bit smarter rather than just being, you know, a slur. Uh, <laughs> used, but, they they uh, would just not do it at all, I think. And I think yeah. anyone involved in it <clears throat> probably regrets it if Hughes were alive. You know, I think he'd say the same. Um, there's just that's a great place where there's been growth is the acceptance of gay people across the board. I mean, yeah. in huge ways and massive advancements. So yeah, I think everyone would probably say eh, we regret that. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, yeah we'll just take we'll just take the insult out of it and use. I can't remember the second two times it was used. I remember it was written on the locker. Yeah, I don't so know if the others were used as an insult, but if it was, they'd just find another word, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it was... One of them is said by Andrew, and the other one... I can't remember if the other one is also Andrew, or if it is Bender. Um, and uh, if it's from Bender, I think it's him saying something that his dad says, and I think the second... It's either Bender saying something his dad said, or it's Andrew saying something his dad said. Like mm-hmm. it's it's doing that type yeah. of thing. Um, but the which maybe they wouldn't take that back. Maybe they want to show the grotesqueness of adults in, in yeah. that now, in that film. And that's that's the thing. Like that that instance as well. I could say you know what that is something that uh, you know a parent of that age at that time. Yeah, that would have been said. However, um, the time that Andrew said it, he does flat out just call. Think it's Bender, um, uh, that word. Um, and I, I think just... I remember it now. Yeah, yeah. And they would, they would probably change that. Yeah. Wisely. <laughs> and wisely, it doesn't do anything because it's not doesn't have anything to do with the meaning of the word. It's simply no. to insult someone is to call them gay, and that's I think would be off the board. This time yeah. So, so and even just changing it to like asshole or something like that. Like you know, yeah. It, it, it's an easy change, um, but yeah. Uh, now. Outside of that, as I said, I don't think I can point to anything that I feel if someone were to make this film today. Let's say it hadn't been made, the script landed on the desk, and it was like, we're going to make this film. I can't think of anything else that would need to change. I mean... Um, well, I tell you what would be called out if they didn't change. It would be the diversity of the ethnicities of our five characters uh today that would certainly be a big change that they would make uh (laughs) you know i mean do you you have to make it no but uh, it would happen you would you count on it uh, yeah well and well and the question would be um really it it would depend on when the film is set because if it was if it was set in the mid 80s at that time with those people um you know theoretically and let's not forget that this i mean i lived in chicago for four years evanston and some of those areas yeah they're pretty white (laughs) like (laughs) they weren't even doing a disservice to that area then you know just by having all white kids i mean that's that's just what was probably still is but i think you know for the interest of you know the strong Oh yeah. Calls for uh, representation. They would change that up. No, yeah, absolutely, and uh, and I think um, uh, yeah, not e- not even necessarily if we were going to go down that route and and you know do all this changing, but not even necessarily changing the ethnicities of the kids themselves, because you know uh, again it well, it's uh, uh, Sherman Oaks, Illinois, um, and, uh, <laughs> all right. So you know it it. it it is definitely suburbia, um, and that sort of style thing. But you know, maybe maybe the the principal would uh, uh, would be the diversity cast person. Like you know, um, although one thing I wish I'd done, I I wrote down to do it, and I never actually did it. I want to figure out what thirty one thousand dollars in nineteen eighty five money is today, um, <laughs> because he he explicitly said like I make thirty one thousand a year, and I was. I heard that and I was like, that must be significantly more after inflation because otherwise that's a bit of a weird flex um, for that right, here's, time. I just, I just looked it up while we're sitting here. Uh, uh, it's the equivalent to about 98500 today. There you go. Yeah. So, that's, so uh, yeah, that's pretty decent. Uh, yeah. So I mean, not, look, not what'd a you say? It costs a million to make? You can't make a million dollar movie uh, <laughs> anymore. So, yeah, everything was... 
dealing with uh, less fewer dollars yeah yeah it's uh yeah, it's, it's always interesting to, to come back for that and it took fewer to say you had a lot of money but i also think the stereotypes haven't changed in many ways they've advanced you know but i think like you got basket case sure the rebel um <laughs> the athlete you know the brain the princess you know so if we made it today i mean you still want to include all those things i think you'd have yeah. to deal with some stuff would you have to like work in school shootings with <laughs> that i mean because they talk about a gun in in the school i mean that's yeah. a huger deal now than it would have been that there would have been arrests you know there would have been like all sorts of there would have been juvie i mean who knows so like today i mean that the gun in, in school would be a bigger bigger well, deal well and that one. that would that would be the thing as well like the two things that i feel like if you were to make this film today you could not set it today like it, it, it wouldn't work for several reasons. I mean, uh, number one, keeping them disconnected from the outside world—that's easily enough done. It's just they had to give up their phones. Like, yeah, that—that's yeah, that's not phones. an issue. That's phones, an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but you know, if if there had been a flare gun that had gone off in a locker, and it was one of those people, assuming that they're not still down at the police station dealing with this. Um, the school resource officer, which is a stupid title, yes, I said it, um, but uh, you know, there would be at least one member, like armed member of either the police force or just like, you know, whatever arm of the sheriff's department handles that when they have that, like, they would be at that door. Like, yeah. the, half of this film would not happen because they'd have to get past the. I suppose you'd have to make it a completely inept school resource officer, which would then draw back lash from people saying, well, you can't make these people seem like ineffective and so on. So, yeah, I think I think if you made this film today, you would still have to set it when it is. Um, otherwise, mm. it would be very difficult to get it made. I mean, you know, maybe bring it to the 90s. Yeah, but uh, add a not, phone though, like you mentioned, the phone. Add a phone to any of these people, and their self-image will be even more destructed, or <laughs> dis- destructed, destroyed. It'll yeah. be more. Dis- the phone will make it more destructive, and they will be more wrecked as people. You know, can you imagine just like uh, you know all the Claire stuff? But Bender snuck his phone in, so then he's gonna write Claire's a virgin. He sends it out, and everybody in school knows now. And then, or like someone makes a video. How did you get into detention? Well, someone made a video of me. You know, Allison. And it was, they caught me, uh, you know, doing the thing with the lice in her hair. And then it's like, just skank, skank, And then that goes all over. It's like, uh, if, add the phones. They, they were already so horribly, like, yeah. just angst-ridden and, uh, you know, stressed and have such pressure put upon them. Add the phones and forget about them. So glad yeah. I didn't grow up with those. Now, that, that's actually something that um, I do find interesting trying to think of a more modern telling of it. I firmly believe that if they were to do a let's say early 2000 just you know let's bring it as far forward as we can before the phone starts to become problematic i feel like claire would be the one with the drugs in that case because she is the incredibly popular girl that is trying to be popular and trying to maintain her sanity. Oh, and she'd be an influencer. She, and all she'd, be, she'd be stuff. self-medicating to, <laughs> to handle the stress. So, yeah, she, she wouldn't necessarily have marijuana or anything harder, but she absolutely wow. would have, like, Adderall and stuff like that. So. Well, we have, we have such worse stereotypes today. You know, I've said it a hundred yeah. times, but again, brain, athlete, basket case, princess, and criminal. Now we'd have, like, influencer... <laughs> you know, like all this dumb stuff. You know, uh, uh, what's what? Um, what's well, Elizabeth the princess, Holmes, some Elizabeth Holmes type. You know, yeah, the kid who gets out of school because um, her mom went to Harvard or whatever. You know, the, the whole scandal with um, yeah, Lori Laughlin. You know, like <laughs> just to be a bunch of annoying people. Uh, yeah, kids today, right? <laughs> I'm, Back in my day, we had real simple stereotypes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so now we have touched on a couple of these already, but I, um, yeah, I made sure to write down the reason why each of the five members of the Breakfast Club are in detention on Saturday. Do you remember who did what? Uh, yes, I think Allison didn't do anything. 
Allison did not do up. anything. She just didn't have anything better to do. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was the flare gun in the locker. That was uh, Brian. That right? was Brian. Yep, because he was Andrew, going to attempt suicide with it. Andrew taped a kid's buns together. Yep, Larry Lester. was a bully. Yeah. Uh, Bender. What did Bender do? I think about it. I mean, what didn't he do? He did so much during the movie. I forget what he did. They got him in there. <laughs> yep. That, yeah, Forgot he received... Person. I think he received... <laughs> eight detentions um during the film um yeah and probably more that we don't hear about but are you uh, finished no i'm doing society a favor so i got you for two weeks bender mm-hmm. <laughs> um but uh yes yeah, so bender the criminal uh he pulled the fire alarm oh that's it okay that came to mind but i didn't think that would be enough but i guess it probably doesn't take much and they want to get him in there and yeah, I mean, yeah, I believe he is supposed to have done it. I think it was the day before. I think it was on the Friday. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, do you remember what Claire did? It's only mentioned once, right at the beginning of the film. Yeah, I can't remember though. She skipped school to go shopping. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is actually kind of interesting because there is a point in the film where obviously Bender is ripping into her and saying like, you know, the princess, the school would probably shut down if you weren't here. <laughs> and it's like, right. she wasn't. She skipped school. <laughs> so, yeah. so it is a bit of an odd line if you remember that, <laughs> that she wasn't there for a day. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, um, so, so one thing I did want to ask, um, yeah, I now have a daughter who is um, starting to go to school and going through that. So like, um, this is going to be my intro to what it's like to have someone going up through an American education. But do they do in-school detention like anymore? Like, is that something that still exists? Because um, I... I've worked in a couple of schools, um, directly working in a classroom that um, provided services for individuals with developmental disabilities. So I was kind of outside of the regular school system, but I was still in the school. I swear detention wasn't a thing. So um, maybe it's maybe the older um, classes. Uh, they are still a thing, but um, like, do you know if that is something that still happens, or is it um, a lot more, you know, actually trying to provide help to the kids rather than just flat out punishing them for stuff like that? Over the course of the last twenty five years, I've had two dogs, so I don't know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, well. I, I have not sent a kid through the system to know that, and I've not been a teacher myself. Chances uh, are they don't. I bet you because. You know, the kids probably put up some sort of stink, you know, and said, oh, we're being, our rights are being, I, I don't know. That'd be my guess. <laughs> they they no, probably complained well, and got it changed. Well, the weirdest thing that I've noticed is that it's not the kids complaining that ever changes something like that. It is the parents complaining that it's difficult for them. Uh, and then, you know, oh, my kid had to stay out of school, but I've got these other kids. I can't pick them up. Like, yeah, we need to find a better way of hand, like that sort of thing. So, yeah, I I feel like, um, again, yet another reason why this film couldn't be made set today is there would be no eight hours of detention at school on a Saturday. That that would not happen. (laughs) And if they made it today and they set it today, I can tell the music would be a lot worse. But that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean... Depend, I guess, depends who they get to do it. If they got Quentin Tarantino to uh, to make the film, the music would be kick-ass regardless of what it was <laughs> yeah, set. Yeah, it wouldn't be of the day. It would be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> be a lot of Harry Nielsen stuff. Yeah, and it, um, I will say for myself, there's only ever been two songs from this film that I remember. And one of them is the obvious one, uh, you know, don't you forget about me just instant classic uh for that yeah big time Uh, but the uh the other one is um uh i believe it's called uh we are not alone and it's the song that they sing when they're all dancing in the library towards the end um yeah the song plays out like that's just uh uh one that 
every time I've watched this, I get that stuck in my head more than I get Don't You Forget About Me. Um, mm-hmm. I, probably because Don't You Forget About Me, we hear more of that song. Um, oh, yes. The, uh, the other song I think we hear about about 40 seconds of, and then it just you know, goes See, on to the Angeles, next scene. In Los Angeles, some of the biggest stations are uh, 101.1, which plays oldies, which now this is an oldie. Um, and I think oldie, I think like Chuck Berry, but no, that was an oldie in the 80s because it was from the 50s. But now mm-hmm. from today, the, the 80s is oldies. So it plays there. 103.5 is like soft, you know, rock. And so they play that. 93.1 is the computer Jack FM sort of commercialist uh dj list i should say they play commercials dj list uh, music station they'll play it so it plays on every station you know the classic rock station will even play it you know in and amongst uh zeppelin and van halen and stuff so that song is played perhaps too much nowadays <laughs> more than it was back then it seems yeah i yeah it is weird how you know, human brains are kind of not designed to acknowledge the passing of time um, in some respects. So, for instance, uh, taking uh, Back to the Future as, uh, as a good benchmark, if Marty McFly left this year and went back the same number of years he went back to go to 1955, he would arrive in 1993. I know. Crazy, right? <laughs> like, what, what, what happened? How did I get so old? <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, when George Lucas made American Graffiti, he went back to 62, which was like nine years. So we, if we wanted to make a throwback movie about the old days that are crazy, it'd be like... That'd be 2014. Yeah, 2014. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Oh, oh, that, that is... we'd have nothing interesting to Halcyon days of 2014. <laughs> oh, yes. Remember? Yeah. Uh, I tell you we... one thing I would not be surprised if they made this today was they'd probably make it a series. And I could tell you we wouldn't need a series. I think way too many shows are series when they sh- don't need to be. You know, it's like yeah. you tell you needed eight hours to tell it. You watch a really good movie and they just get everything across in two hours, two and a half hours. And you're like, that was good. I'm full. I'm good. You yeah. know, but think... uh, some of these ones, I, I don't want to say names, but Obi-Wan Kenobi, they could really <laughs> trim them down. And people have now famously as well started editing these things down into like two hour of really just all the important stuff you need to know. So I just fear if they made this, it would be a series. There would be, you know, it, it, for one eight hour session, like each hour would be a straight <laughs> and it would be like an eight hour thing and it would just drag on. Well, that actually is something that um, I always find interesting talking to people about because um, when you say the word series um, in America, a series of a show is typically like if it was a cable television show and it was going to be a, you know, a big show uh, that they were putting on, it would be 20 ish you know uh, give or take episodes of 42 minutes of uh, actual episode and then ads uh, to fill the hour slot um, and that would be one whole series so that's that's an insane amount of time like that's yeah, like, yeah. And even, even 10 episodes is a lot whereas in england one series typically um barring um any like big money going into it a series of something is typically six episodes yeah we're doing that now yeah yeah last <laughs> um, of us i think was eight yeah um, so so really really condensing it down to what actually makes sense because um w- one thing that i i like to point out just how bad it got um was there was a tv show called being human and so it was in the uk it ran for four seasons I believe they did eight episodes instead of six uh, for a couple of the seasons, but you know it was still a really condensed plot. Um, you know, each episode was one hour, uh, no ads because it was on BBC, uh, and uh, so it was. The first series was six hours long. It started at point X and it ended at point Y. The American version of it was twenty-three episodes. Each episode was 42 minutes of plot, or sorry, 42 minutes of actual action. Um, I won't say plot because it started episode one 
at point X and it finished episode 23 at point Y. The exact same plot points is where yeah. it started and finished. And it doesn't it filled, always need to be a series. Yeah, it filled about 10 hours of nothing. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I, I do think that this would be what would be considered in America a good mini series. Yeah, actually, maybe a little bit of um, like a view into the actual home life of the kids. Like, obviously, have them telling it, but then we also do get some additional sort of home life moments and stuff like that. I think that it would be um, like even actually do a five episode, like a six episode series. The first five episodes are focusing entirely on each of the Breast Club, like their view of what's going on and then the sixth episode is actually what we see so like it's actually what happened um so you see everyone's perspective on their time uh, yeah, that might be good yeah. i could tell you if it's a film today though no one would watch it oh no i mean in this fran- <laughs> franchise centric movie calendar you know between <laughs> fast x and john wick and mission impossible and the flash and uh you know spider-man and uh, the Haunted Mansion and Indiana Jones and all. No one, no one would watch The Breakfast Club. That's, I mean, <laughs> it would have to go to series just so it would get watched because that's the only place they watch things like this that take time and your attention to enjoy. Well, that's the same. D- um, now, I personally feel I have the answer to this question, and so I'm going to ask you now: um, if if this was made today, regardless of when it's set. You know, just if someone were to have this script and make it, which director would make it? Mm, I'd love to see Richard Linklater make it. Mm, that could be that could be interesting. I, I could see that. It'd be a different uh, vibe, but well. he, he's handled yeah. kids before, dazed and confused. Everybody wants them. Yeah. You know, that'd be cool. Uh, well, I, I can give you who I personally believe would be the best modern fit for uh for this film if it were to be made today um i don't I would, think i'm going to come up with anything better than link later so what do you got i would say kevin smith oh yeah i i think he would crush a version of the breakfast club it would definitely be um an r-rated film but the dialogue like it would be just as tight if not tighter than the john hughes um he's got it cut the crap though and really hit us with the heart though because it's the heart mm-hmm. and all these monologues and things that really oh, yeah. levels and out all the crudeness and everything else yeah. into a and nice I, I would i would argue that kevin smith now would easily be able to do that kevin smith at clerks and more rats probably not <laughs> no yeah, uh, but cool. uh, uh but yeah kevin smith now i feel he <clears> absolutely <throat> would be able to do it i mean um i recently watched clerks three and I can understand why some people don't like it, but I feel that it really shows that he's taken all of the, um, yeah, all of the stuff he's learned from his other films and has made the best cap to, you know, the clerk's story and um, uh, made some in, some good choices without going into spoiler territory. But yeah, um, I'd say I didn't have anything else written down uh, to go over. I feel like we've covered uh, the vast majority of what I was hoping we would. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention before we uh, start signing off here? No, if you haven't seen this, please do. I mean, obviously you probably have if you're listening to this by now. <laughs> you wouldn't have known what we're talking about the last hour. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a step up from Animal House, from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, you know, which played a little more... Uh, even his own 16 Candles, which all had a lot more sex jokes in them or just exploitative scenes like Phoebe Cates taking her top off or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Molly Ringwald's character having to give her underwear to a guy and then like a Revenge of the Nerds where there's like basically a rape in it done for joke, you know, like that stuff is old and outdated then. So, um but this was definitely an elevated elevating the type of kids you're going to see on screen not just sex star comedy characters so yeah. uh i've always welcomed that and i've always put this at the top of my list of all those movies back then for that adult handling of teen life yeah no, absolutely this is uh, this is a film that has aged spectacularly well 
um, you know, uh, as I've mentioned, you know, a couple of words here and there, uh, specifically the one word um, that I, I will not say, um, just because that it, I do not feel it is right for me to do so. Um, and yeah, like aside from that, like everything in this is great. Like the, uh, you know, the acting, specifically Judd Nelson's acting uh, for me, just phenomenal. Um, you really do get like, you really do get to understand these characters in a relatively short period of time. Um, and yeah, it, I, I will recommend this to anyone, <laughs> absolutely anyone. Cause uh, I do, I should, um, uh, yeah. my girlfriend and I started dating during the pandemic uh, and we were on lockdown, just wanted to watch movies. I showed this to her. She hadn't seen it. So I showed him like, Hey, I bought the, I bought the disc, sat her down. Let's watch it. Did that with a lot of eighties movies with her parenthood. <laughs> When Harry met Sally, she hadn't seen these. I'm like, what? So we yeah. had to change that. <laughs> well, yeah. All right. Uh, uh, well, I I think that uh, with a uh, final recommendation for both of us, for everyone to see the film if they haven't already, which if, if you haven't and you've reached this point, um, you know, uh, thanks. Uh, and, and also, um, I do feel like we haven't actually spoiled the film which is kind of a, an interesting thing I, I didn't even consider, but there's not much. That may be much... true, because there's a lot of hubbub since the 80s about the finale, about who ends up with who and how that all goes down, because some people were angry, like, oh, why do you have to change to be accepted? And so that's a big deal. That's a whole other discussion, but because <laughs> that has nothing to do yeah. with whether it held up or whether it could be made today. That's just some people think characters compromising themselves to be more popular was like a bad call um i think it's what it is and it's how the story went and i had no problem with it but um i get it i mean yeah it it was there was a little bit of the trope of the time like yeah and it it, you know films like not another teen movie expertly rip into the we need to beautify a character (laughs) let's beautify a character in this film and because it is it is a teen drama film from the mid '80s. It was going to be in there, yeah. Um, and yeah, I again, product of its time, um, and definitely, if it were to be made today, uh, as we said, that there would be some change to that. Um, in fact, to be honest, I think that um, if it were to be made today, uh, something that would be an interesting. Um, an interesting choice and I think would work is that uh, the Andrew character uh, would potentially come to realize that uh, either he he himself is gay or bisexual or something like that like there would have been some kind of awakening of that in the film rather than anything else you know I think that Mm. that would be a fantastic look into you know the things that a lot of kids are going through these days and really trying to understand that so I think that would be a um you know, a better way of handling it were it to be made today. <laughs> but uh, thankfully, that doesn't seem to be happening. Um, oddly, I I don't know of any John Hughes film that, like, especially from this era, that I've heard any inklings of, they're going to remake this. Yeah, like, just it, Vacation, but he didn't direct that, but he did write it. Um, right, yeah. It, but, no, I mean, that seems more ripe for this. But I, I think... Oh, boy, I do not want to see that. I say if you want to handle, if you want to take kids handling the travails of what it means to be a teen today, put it in a different setting. Don't just remake this. Let those yeah. characters live where they live, and we can revisit them when we want to. Yeah, I mean, um, absolutely. Last thing I'll say before I actually do enough for this one, but I would, I would love it if there was, let's say, let's say there was another film about, you know, teens working through this, not not specifically in detention or anything like that, but like some kind of school thing where these kids are going through this and they're really struggling and coming to terms with all this stuff in a, in a similar vein or whatever. And then it's 
only when the parents come to pick them up that we realize they're the kids of the breakfast club <laughs> like and it's just it's like a you know last 30 seconds thing of like oh that's bender oh that's claire yeah. like, twitter would spoil uh, that well in advance of you seeing oh absolutely <laughs> like yeah basically unless it was filmed in a submarine somewhere yeah that's gonna <laughs> yeah. get spoiled unfortunately but uh, um, but yeah no I, I think that would be i think that's the only right way to build a connection to this film um with something else because uh, you know at this point in time they are the parents picking up the kids so you know yeah, that's what it yeah. would be but, uh, yeah no i mean this this new yorker article which again i recommend you check out if you want to talk more about this that molly ringwald wrote she was watching it with her daughter and her daughter was not too upset about that scene i mentioned but molly ringwald was struck by it and had to like write this whole article about it so you know she also goes into great detail about interviewing a friend of hers who was gay and gay people got a lot out of this movie and she's like this has nothing to do with being gay and she's no it has people being themselves and what's it like to, to to struggle when you're not being seen and all this stuff they felt they felt parallel emotions yeah when it even the, when even that specific thing of being gay in in high school as a teen were being directly addressed but it was still enough for some people to like champion this film yeah, uh, I mean, respect. you know, there's many times during each character's monologue where the core theme is the fact that they are so stuck struggling against what they feel everyone else is telling them they should be. Right. And, you know, the parents not listening to them and just being like, this is what I expect. Especially, you know, um, you know Andrew's dad. Like, yeah, you will be a winner, you will do this stuff, and it's yeah, win, 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 yeah. And yeah, uh, that that guy's dad absolutely would, you know, if it turns out he was gay, you know, he could never bring that home, you know, (laughs) absolutely, yeah, yeah, right. So, yeah, no, it's uh, there's absolutely, I can see why this film has lasted so long with everyone and will continue to find an audience just because you know who at some point in time has not felt that they were unable to express themselves in some kind of social setting or you know being pushing against peer pressure and all of this sort of stuff like that you know you will identify with at least one character at some point in the film like it's just it's gonna happen out of order uh, yeah all right. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> after that, I, I think that's uh, a great place to jump off. So, uh, um, you know, one more time, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's been a blast, uh, as, as it was last time as well. So if you would like people to find you, I'm assuming you would, uh, you know, where can they do so? And uh, if you want to go into a little bit more detail about those other podcasts, uh, feel free. Well, I appreciate you reaching out again because it had been, I mean, it had been pre-pandemic I think it was, that i was on with uh, to talk i think about. it was 2019 yeah so there on. you go just before yeah um so we should have been doing more of this when the, when you couldn't leave the house but anyway yeah. happy to do it again <laughs> and if you want to know more about uh, what we're doing at the movie guys watch the uh, you can go listen to the ford fiesta uh, we watch every harrison ford movie and do cover one per episode my partner in crime at the movie guys adam witt and i break it down it's the show one of the shows I'm proudest of that we've ever done. We've been podcasting since 09. But this <laughs> show combines great, funny writing. We recap the movies in a, in a funny way. We have great guests. We could do deep dives on all the facts. I appreciate all the stuff you did today. You know, like, <clears throat> I go on podcasts. We're just going to hang out and talk. Okay, no, no. You <laughs> looked up The Breakfast Club. You looked at alternate alternative casting, you know, stories from the shoot, all that kind of stuff. I love that. And with each of our movies we cover on Harrison Ford, we go deep on everything about, you know, because basically in the 70s was Spielberg and Coppola, I'm, I'm sorry, Lucas and Coppola versus the world. No one wanted them to make these amazing movies they made. Uh, you know, the Universal didn't believe in American Graffiti. Even after winning money for, or even after winning gold with The Godfather, Coppola couldn't get Apocalypse Now made, you know, and, and but it was enough money he made to help Lucas make Star Wars, which no studio would get behind. Like Harrison Ford was in all of these. And yeah. so... 
it was just they're just fascinating stories and i think if you went over there and checked that out plus there's like seven movies before american graffiti that harrison ford was in like what are you what are those movies we talk about them we get you excited to see them it's the most fun you can have with movies you've never heard of when it comes to those first episodes of the show but we just posted temple of doom and we're going to keep moving right on through uh oh we've been saying call of the wild but now we'll work our way all the way through the dial of destiny when that opens as well and it ends up um in by the time we get to it home viewing i'm sure uh and so everything you can find we're doing at themovieguys.net at the movie guys everywhere on social join us and we'll talk movies all right uh yeah well once once more uh yes thank you very much for coming on it uh um it's always great talking with you and uh, uh if anyone listening would like to connect uh with myself and with the podcast um you know just search blockbusters everywhere and then make sure that you tell google that no you didn't mean blockbusters you meant blockbusters and then you'll find <laughs> us uh, yeah i i am very excited to continue uh down this uh, rabbit hole of uh, uh nostalgic rewatches and uh just seeing how these things hold up and uh you know uh, potentially if you would like <laughs> you could come back on and we'll talk blazing saddles i feel like that could Airplane. be a uh, Airplane's another one that's one of the funniest movies ever made, but so many jokes in there are wrong. But oh. wrong isn't necessarily bad. I don't know. I'd be curious to hear. No, yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I think that, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, definitely, you know, early 80s um, and around that era, there's just so much that everyone loved at the time. But if we do go back and we watch it now, <laughs> and it, it's, it's that, that little. That little level of uncomfortable, that's what I want to unpack in these. So I think that, uh, uh, I think it's going to be fun. So uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you one last time, Paul, for coming on. And um, I will uh, see you guys all next time. Bye. Farewell. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Hang on a minute, lads. I've got a great idea. Uh, Louis? I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.